0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: A warning before we begin. This podcast is explicit in every way. Let's test one, two. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Um, all right, talk about giving
2: me your name. Uh, my name is Valentino McCoy, but you can find me on all platforms at Cousin Tino. Okay. Yeah.
1: So how many days have you been
2: here? Oh, I've been here about five days. Five days? Yeah. Yeah, yeah five days. What was
3: the day like? Lining today up for like five days is the type of commitment people usually only put in for exclusive sneaker drops. But in December of 2022, Cousin Tino was waiting daily to get into an L.A. courtroom.
2: I saw this case happen and I was like, I can't see a, a black man get railroaded. I, I knew what happened from the job.
1: Inside the LA County Superior Courthouse, Tory Lanes was standing trial for assault with a deadly weapon. And in the courtroom on the 15th floor, Judge Hereford and the bailiffs, they enforced strict silence.
3: Outside was a different story though.
2: He was yelling out. Not guilty. Not guilty. He, he's a real spiritual dude, man. He has God with him. And it, the truth will come out and he'll be not guilty if she's lying about being in an affair with him, if she's lying about different things then obviously what else would she lie about as soon as they found out that he shot uh allegedly shot megan allegedly let me get that clear allegedly that he lost everything
3: hell no this ain't no me too case and this ain't no attack on black women either like protect black women protect both parties protect black men too what do you think the verdict is going to be? One at a time. Oh, shit, I don't know.
2: That brother is innocent.
3: Innocent. We got a theme song.
2: Innocent. Well, oh. hey, Tory Lanez is innocent.
1: Now see, you know we spend an entire season covering cases just like this. Mhm. Cases that expose how the justice system criminalizes rappers, paints them as hyper violent, over sex, dangerous.
3: Yeah, but this case was more complicated. Because what Tori was standing trial for was the assault of a fellow rapper. A woman. Megan the Stallion. Real
4: hot girl shit. Hey, child, baby, Megan the Stallion! I'm always like, you know what? (laughs) What would Beyonce do, but let me make it a little ratchet. Running up them bench, trying to bow till I fall. Running from his bitch, he gon' come when I call. call. If it ain't about money, then you know I ain't involved. involved. Worried about these motherfuckers.
1: Some of Meg's fans showed up during the trial, too.
4: I'm feeling very emotional right now. I'm just wishing the best for Megan, and I love her so much. We just wanted
5: to be here to show moral support to Megan and to any other woman that has been harmed. And if you do speak up, that there's a community of women and gender expansive folks who believe you, that love you, that care for you, and that are here for you.
1: These two sides represent a divide in hip-hop, one that had been going on for two years on the internet, pretty much since Meg told the world Tori shot.
4: Not really sounding like a victim to me, she's a strong black woman. To see like So many, not just black men, but black women too, be itching, just itching. Like the inherent desire is to vilify this
0: black woman. I don't like that girl. You told Gail King you didn't fuck him. We all know you fucked him. I'm here
3: for it. I like that. I want you to like me so much, you shoot me in the foot too.
0: Who shot you? Can we prove that he shot you?
3: This case, how fans saw it, how the media covered it, these are symptoms of a larger issue. Tory Lanez might have been the one on trial, but for everyone watching, so was Megan. She spoke out, and she was punished.
1: And it's time to talk about that. Like, for real.
3: I'm Sydney Madden.
1: I'm Rodney Carmichael.
3: And from NPR Music, this is Louder Than a Riot.
1: Where we trace the collision of rhyme and punishment.
3: But this time... Rhyme and punishment is taking on a whole new meaning.
1: Yeah. Season one looked at the way hip-hop is marginalized in America. But for season two, we're looking at who gets marginalized within hip-hop.
3: Mm-hmm. And digging into how the double standard became the standard. Mm. On this episode, we report from the Tory Lanez trial. Not to give a play-by-play of evidence or witness testimony, but to read between the lines and the lies. For something more insidious going on in the culture.
1: And to interrogate who hip-hop chooses to believe and ultimately protect.
4: It's about 8.30 a.m. on Tuesday, December 13th. It is the second day of the Daystar Peterson, a.k.a. Tory Lane's trial.
1: Me and Sid, and along with louder board senior board producer Gabby Bogarelli, we took shifts covering the trial on the ground. The and Gabby was up first, and I ain't gonna lie,
3: we weren't 100% day.
1: sure what we were sending the her
3: into. This case had been pushed back for so long, and, if you will. and with every delay... It fueled even more speculation, rumors, Megan. and hate towards Megan. Okay, Megan, Megan. So when the day of Meg's testimony finally came, it felt surreal. It was actually starting.
5: How you feel,
0: Megan?
3: Oh my god. <laughs> Around ten AM, Megan walked into the courthouse and the paparazzi swarmed her.
4: Okay, Megan's inside. I'm going inside.
1: There was no audio recording allowed in the courtroom, but Gabby was there taking notes. She called us up after the recap, and when she called, she said it was one of the most memorable days of her life.
4: All right, I'm gonna start from the beginning. Okay, people call Megan Pete. And as they open the door, you hear shouts, we love you, Meg. We love you. We stand with you from the hallway. She shoots a look at Tori. Her makeup is snatched, I wrote. She walks up onto the floor. They swear her in.
3: Can you talk more about how she shot Tori a look?
4: It was like quick daggers really quickly. Like, I see you. I don't like that I see you, but I see you and I'm going this way. The day started with
1: LA's deputy district attorney, Kathy Ta, asking Megan questions on the stand.
4: She says, do you know Daystar, who Daystar Peterson is? She says, yes. She starts crying. Um, she says, do you know him by any other name? She's, she's like saying in between tears, Tory Lanes. Um, if, and then she reminds her, if at any point you need a break, just please let me know. Ta asks, how do you know him? She says, we used to be friends. Then the judge has her pause and Ta comes closer and readjusts the mic because the way that Megan is crying and her voice is breaking up, it's harder to hear her. She says... We got really close. We used to drink and party together. Honestly, when my mom died, I was looking for people to fill a void of a family I was trying to create. I trusted him, and we spoke about that kind of stuff.
3: As the prosecutor in the case, Ta's approach with Megan was gentle. But then, it was time for Tori's defense to question
4: her. 1.50 p.m., cross-examination begins.
3: His attorney, George mcdeesian approached the podium.
4: So... It starts off Rocky. He says, Good afternoon, Miss Pete. Megan doesn't respond. He says good afternoon good afternoon, Miss Pete again. Then she says, Good afternoon. He so, goes like, on t- already
3: like already tension there.
4: She was already like, I'm not about to answer this nigga.
3: Mcdezian is a tall, stocky, hair slick back, three piece suit type. And he came at Megan ready to throw his weight around and throw some of the deepest hell prejudices about black women back in her face.
1: Yeah, and right away, it became clear that this dude was going to play up the exact way the internet had been vilifying her for the last two years.
4: Did you do an Instagram Live? She says, yes. With my green hair? He says, yes. He says, in 2020? She says, not sure. Only a few months after the inter- incident? She says, yes. There was a lot of intense scribbling, people shuffling. I heard a whisper behind me of like, oh my God, Like they're talking about Instagram.
1: The McDizian is talking about an IG Live that Meg did sometime after the shooting. In front of 80,000 viewers, this was the first time that Meg publicly said that Tori shot her.
2: It ain't like a, oh, let me go run and tell my business to the motherfucking internet. Let me go run and tell my business to the police. Like, you know what I'm saying? I ain't never been that type of person. Like,
4: but I'm not going to let y'all keep playing in my face. And I'm not going to let this nigga keep playing in my face either. So... Since y'all hoes so worry about it, yes this nigga Tori shot me. You shot me.
3: But there's one part of this IG live that McDizian really focuses
4: in on. He says, remember what you talk about? She says, not entirely. He says, so you don't recall saying you're a real thug bitch? That you're a motherfucking South Sider? And I'm I'm like not even trying to dramatize this. This is how he's saying it. He's like, did you say you were a real thug bitch really loudly and really aggressively, reading a transcript of her life? That the reason that this thug bitch didn't tell the police is because it's none of their business that this nigga shot you, that this nigga Tori shot you. All
1: right, now first off, you gotta know the McDeesian is not black. So
4: like this non-black person. Yes, it's just straight up. He, it's not hard R, but he's saying nigga with right. a fervor. To her face,
3: and he thinks he has like the poetic license because he's quoting her or something. Yes. Wow. And second, that's not even what Megan said. Or how she said it. Right. What she actually said was... I'm really a real bitch. Like, I'm from Houston. I'm from the motherfucking South Side. In the video, she's real calm, too. Real clear-headed. Definitely not aggressive, like how McDizian is trying to make out.
1: Yeah, and in court, she wasn't pressed
4: either.
3: And what was like her face like when he's doing this?
4: She is just staring at him like Wednesday Adams, barely blinking type, just staring like dagger into his face. And then this is the part where everyone in the courtroom breaks. Yeah. Megan says, sorry, can you say that one more time? He says, what? She says, no, say that whole thing one more time. And everyone starts giggling a little bit. Did you say you were a real thug bitch and, like, says it? And she says, probably. Oh, my God. Everyone laughed at her making him repeat it.
1: Man, this dude McDee not think he's slick.
4: Right.
3: Like, she deserved it because she's a thug bitch? Even if she is, she deserves to be protected from violence.
1: See, this is how he lays the groundwork for making Meg look like less
4: of a victim. And then he tries to make her look like a liar, too. Mm. He said, "Miss Pete, you testified earlier today that this all happened, this altercation happened during a breakout moment in your career. She says, yes. He says, now it's safe to say you're one of the biggest artists, right? Biggest artists in the world. She says, yes. He says, so this actually helped your career, not hindered it. She said, me being shot helped my career? He said, I'm saying that in that time since, your career has been bigger. She says, because I got shot? Is that why? It had nothing to do with the shooting. He says, so when you got shot, with air quotes. She stops him. Why did you do this? And gestures air quotes, I was shot.
3: This is McDizian not only trying to say his client did not harm her. He's trying to cast doubt that Meg was shot at all. That's wild, though, because the trial wasn't even about whether or not she was shot. It was about who shot her.
1: And we saw all the evidence. The x-rays of her feet with the bullet fragments, the sound of the shots from the neighborhood security camera, and the body cam footage of Meg bleeding from her feet.
3: Hearing and seeing all this evidence was one thing, but watching Meg sit up in court and be re-traumatized by it, it made it worse. To be in an official institution like a courthouse and hear how sexism and racism are allowed to be weaponized like this, it was a reminder that misogyny is everywhere, Not just in hip-hop.
1: Long after Meg's testimony wrapped that day, long after our debrief call, Gabby sent us this late-night text that said, what I saw and heard today is really washing over me right now. Definitely going to decompress this weekend.
3: And after she had that chance to process a little, we jumped in a studio.
4: I was just sitting in bed. I couldn't shut my brain off. I was just lying there, replaying everything that McDizian did.
3: We didn't really talk about how it felt to be there. So talk to me about that. What what kind of misogynistic stereotypes did he try and, you know, feed into for the jury in, in doing it
4: that way? Definitely strong black woman trope. I think he was trying to break her and make her look, make her have a moment of weakness. I think he was also trying to... Feed back into the Megan's lying of it all, like she's trying to frame this black man, like, oh, you you like chose to protect him, but you change your story. So which one is it? Like, are you riding or dying for him or not?
3: I also think that connected to the strong black women trope, he was trying to paint a picture of her being a thug bitch, hard. Mm-hmm dominating, domineering someone who feasib- feasibly could overpower Tori. So there's no way that Tori could be the
4: aggressor in the situation. A hundred percent. And that's his job. His job is to make her look unreliable, to make her look aggressive, to cast reasonable doubt. I fully get that. But I think the manner in which he went about it ultimately became pretty terrifying. Hmm. And I think it felt that way because... It didn't feel like there was a line he wouldn't cross to go there, to make her look that way.
1: Yeah. It was almost like the patriarchy was cross-examining her.
4: A hundred percent. I think it's weird because it was very deeply terrifying, but it also just felt normal. It was like, oh, you you forgot for a second. Like That's what you get. It was so easy to be terrified and then be like, girl, why are you caught up? She's a black woman first and foremost. And this is how she will be treated. Mm. How she will be treated.
1: What was going on in that courtroom? It was more than one overzealous defense attorney. It felt like all the hatred and disrespect for Meg and the entire country was being channeled through that man.
3: He was saying the quiet part out loud.
1: And that hatred is targeted towards Black women and people read as Black women because of their race, And the
3: There's a word for that. Massage en noir. When we come back, we break down the trial with the woman who coined that term.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, you can find a 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. Selling your car. Visit Carvana and enter your license plate or VIN. Answer a few quick questions and you can get a real offer in seconds. When you finalize your offer, Carvana will pick it up, so you never have to leave the comfort of home. Visit Carvana.com or download the app.
5: Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares Betterment's philosophy on investing. No matter the amount of money you have, it's always good to be invested. It's always good to start early. It's always good to save. And the power of being consistent in your habits is really the path to long-term wealth. Get started at Betterment.com.
4: Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed.
0: This message comes from The Run-Through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.
5: I have loved hip-hop since I was little and actually one of my first CDs was uh, uh, Warren G Regulators.
4: It was a clear black night, a clear white night. Came in
5: the the, the BMG CDs that you got.
2: So I could get some phones rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren
1: G. Moya Bailey is a lot of things. A professor, an author, the creator of the term massage noir, and a fan of hip-hop.
5: And at the time, I don't think I had a critical relationship to hip-hop. I was just in it and enjoying the the sound and the world that was very different from my own, one that felt familiar, you know, as a Black girl growing up in Arkansas.
3: It wasn't until Moya got to college at Spelman that she started noticing what the music she loved was really saying to her and about her
5: as a Black woman. Budacris had a song, Use a ho. And that was very much something that was dominating our party spaces. And initially, I think people felt very empowered, like, use a ho, not me
0: with ho tendencies your brains. Holes are your enemies. with energies
1: to do, what you do. that looter joint raised a hell of red flags for Moya she started to hear a pattern
5: so that was the initial way that people were taking it up but having a critical moment in that time and being like wait a second <laughs> you know like this is not equal
1: then later, When she found out Nellie was planning to visit her campus for a fundraiser, she saw an opportunity to start a conversation.
0: Nellie's sister, Jackie Donahue, has leukemia. She desperately needs a bone marrow match and transplant to survive. The biggest thing I have right now is the publicity aspect of it, so we're trying to use as much of it as
2: we can possibly get.
5: We started uh, a very small (laughs) pushback to say, hey... Uh, you want to come and get Spelman students to register to donate bone marrow, but we have some concerns about your lyrics and your representation.
1: She didn't like how women were being treated as sexual props in the video for his song, Tip Drill.
3: The video is something else. I think we all remember the credit card swipe on the BET Uncut version. Moya wrote an open letter asking Nelly to have a sit-down. And instead, he pulled out of the drive altogether. And the whole thing just
5: blew up. I really was confused as to why a few students who had some questions about a rapper's lyrics created such a media firestorm. And we got death threats. And, you know, this is also before... Uh, Email was so easily available to people, so we were getting letters that were death threats. So it was a very challenging time, and it was that level of vitriol directed at us as young college students, just because we dared to ask questions, felt really telling, from use a hoe to tip drill.
3: She kept feeling a hatred coming from something she loved. But she didn't have the language to describe it. The term she finally landed on was massage noir, a mashup of misogyny and noir, the French word for black and a nod to film noir.
1: Moya coined the word almost 15 years ago. 15 years before the Tory Lane's trial.
5: I so appreciate you saying Tory Lane's trial because so many times people have talked to me about it and they said Meg's yeah. trial. And that shift is subtle, but to me that's a manifestation of misogynoir. This is, people are thinking that this is about whether Megan is telling the truth and the fact that she had to prove that she was in fact being honest about what happened to her That is a manifestation of misogynoir.
1: Were you shocked to see uh, the way it was spinning out in terms of the misogynoir manifesting in the way that it did? Or or, or was it just like, "Mm, yeah, I, I, I predicted this. I saw this coming.
5: I have to say I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised because Meg is a rapper first. You know, like you cannot deny her skill. And normally... There's an assumption that, you know, skill is what matters, skill is the thing, but it's very clear that skill is not enough (laughs) when these narratives are part of how Black women are viewed
3: generally. This trial exposed cracks in the culture that actually go beyond hip
5: hop. There are these tensions that are running deep and have everything to do with narratives that we've internalized about how Black men are supposed to be men and how Black women are supposed to be women. Yeah, we saw that tension, too. It wasn't just men.
3: There were a lot of Black women out there caping for Tori, too. Something that I don't think we've really
5: wrestled with, the way that we can internalize these ideas about Black women even as Black women, that misogynoir, unfortunately, it's equal opportunity in terms of who deploys it. Yeah.
1: This tension that Moy is talking about, it's real. And it's got everything to do with how Black men have been systematically preyed upon by the carceral state and the desire to keep men and boys out of that system.
5: I think for a lot of Black men, there is this sense that any of us is all of us, and that is true for the Black community, I'd say. We do have a a loyalty to each other that I think is really powerful, but also, in this case, um, as the, you know, boondocks clip about R. Kelly <laughs> um, shows, you know, not all of us are political mm-hmm. prisoners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What the hell is wrong with you people? Every famous nigga that gets arrested is not Nelson Mandela. Yes, the government conspires to put a lot of innocent Black men in jail on fallacious charges. But R. Kelly is not one of those men. We all know the nigga can sing. But what happened to standards? What happened to bare minimums? It can be true at the same time that the criminal justice system is... Structurally unjust, particularly towards Black men, and Tory Lanez did shoot Megan The Stallion. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. And uh, we haven't really had a lot of people saying, saying that loudly.
3: For some, trying to hold these two truths at the same time can be hard. But black women do it all the time. That's what Megan did. She tried to protect Tori from the police even after she was shot by him.
1: But trying to protect him doesn't change the facts.
3: Facts like how in the U.S., black women are three times more likely to die from a domestic violence incident than any other racial group. What do you say to people who don't think misogynoir actually
5: exists? That they are actively ignoring what's happening around them. There's this quote by Tony Cade Bambara that I really love, which is, what are you pretending not to know? And so people can pretend not to know that misogynoir exists, but it's a farce. The evidence is there. And at this point, if you're denying misogynoir, then you're just denying reality.
3: Those people who deny it may exist, but the use of massage noir as a term exploded during the trial. It climbed 80% in online search engines. Dozens of articles and podcasts and TikToks popped up, all using massage noir as a framework to break down this mess.
1: But if anything, the popularity of the term, it only highlighted the problem.
5: I'd really like to see massage noir retired someday as something we don't need to use or only think about in the past because we've done the work to create a world where misogynoir doesn't exist.
3: But as the trial was drawing to a close, it was clear the day of retiring this word was still a long way off.
0: This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com NPR.
4: Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture and podcasts are ready when you want them in your pocket. Download the NPR app today.
3: Behind court, the park that we're always we always go to with the pink chairs and everything. After Meg testified that day in court, a slew of people took the stand. The faces and the facts might have changed from day to day, but the massage noir stayed ever present.
1: Yeah, and by the last day of testimony, we were overwhelmed with how often we could point it out. Okay, so for me walking into this thing, only being here two days. The real show was outside the courtroom.
3: It was a reality TV show, I feel like, because there was people who were very pro Megan, people very pro Tory, and people's opinions have not swayed. They became more entrenched in their opinions.
1: Walking out of court that day, the day before deliberations were supposed to start. I don't know about you, Sid, but I felt tired.
3: Yeah, I mean, listening to some really hard testimony and evidence. That was a lot. But the atmosphere outside was a whole nother level of exhausting.
1: In total, the trial only took two weeks. But in that time, some of the loudest names in hip-hop were making misogynistic content out of it. And monetizing it. DJ Academics hosted watch parties on Twitch. 50 Cent posted memes making fun of Meg. And Joe Budden, he talked mad trash on his podcast.
3: As we sat out there in the cold, trying to wrap our heads around just how big this moment felt and what the verdict was going to be, the outcome of the case seemed only like a small part of what was really going on.
1: In some ways, kind of reaffirms uh, things that we've already known about, you know, the culture and the world and all it's, of like, that.
3: reaffirmed it, but it's also amplified it to a point where people's Threshold is higher. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like you know how we have a threshold for pain, a threshold for violence. Yeah. I think this whole case and everything that has, you know, come off of it, all the ripple effects and all the debate and disagreement and that, like, it's raised people's threshold for.
1: Just all the bullshit.
3: All the bullshit. All the massage and noir. Yep. All the inhumanity I don't know I just feel super discouraged by that
1: yeah it's funny I mean this this feels like it's kind of put a slightly different spin on the season I mean the need for the season that you know we set out with is is obviously still as clear as ever and, and this this trial reaffirms that but mm-hmm. I think there was a bit of a a hope or a, a expectation that things might be changing for the better a little bit, um, and that
3: I know it it did feel like there was like I mean how they want to you know. I guess we could call it propaganda like the renaissance of women in rap like this new dawn of so many rap girlies pushing narratives that are very affirming it did feel like there was a new tidal wave and a new energy and surge of that but coming from this case it's like it don't feel like it
1: nah, it, it feels like all that kind of I think this is a, a reality check. I'm gonna turn this thing off. It's getting cold, and um, we should get out of here and figure out.
3: We what are we gonna do? Let's go. Let's go somewhere. Three days after we turned off our recorder, Tori's verdict came back guilty on all counts.
1: Yeah, when I first heard the verdict, I man, I was surprised. It almost felt like we could exhale for a second. I mean, black folks, we never look at the justice system for justice, right? This system was designed to dehumanize us. But in this case, it was actually the only thing that ended up protecting Meg.
3: Immediately afterwards, the gossip bloggers went real quiet. And some of the heavy hitters who clowned Meg in the past even apologized.
1: But we knew it was Cap. Because let's be honest, has anything changed?
3: Has the culture become any less toxic?
1: The outcome from the courtroom has zero consequence on the culture. And listen, we've talked a lot about the culture in this episode, right? I mean, it's a word that's become a metaphor for hip hop or for young black America, whatever. But the truth is, the culture, it doesn't refer to all of us. The culture damn sure doesn't love all of us. Sometimes the culture doesn't even have love for itself. And you know what? The culture's got a lot of answering to do. I mean, honestly, it's a real conversation we've been needing to have for damn near 50 years.
3: And we love hip-hop. We've pretty much dedicated our careers to covering it. And we're part of the culture. So on this season of Louder, we're going to have that conversation. This season is about Meg, but not really. It's a season about every person in this industry who has felt noir come for them. Those who have been brushed aside, told to change, or just shut up. Those who haven't been believed or have been held back by all the unspoken rules of rap. This episode is about rule number one. We're calling it Megan's Rule. Being exceptional does not make you the exception.
1: And over the next nine episodes, we're unpacking the remaining rules. One by one.
4: In a perfect world, black women would get celebrated for their contributions just as much as black men. But they don't.
2: I don't think I'm a size mistake. I think I'm, I'm realistic. People are
0: not appreciating me.
2: This is not a conversation about condemning the men. This is a, a conversation about condemning the culture.
1: And we're telling the stories of the rule breakers who refuse to play nice.
3: She said, girl, they will tear you down by the pussy hairs in this business. It's my
4: narrative, I'm gonna control it. You did not make me, I did.
3: Do you think hip hop respects black women, protects black women?
4: How about we ask hip hop that question?
1: They kinda taught me, like, no, that's gay. You can't do that.
3: I'm celebrating how the new generation running rap got here.
4: People he was
2: like, first of all, can we sell him? He's feminine, he's dark skin, he's
4: thick, he's gay, he's loud. I feel like I kind of represent an archetype of the black bitch, and I have become her.
3: No offense to the men, but when I'm listening, comparing the two, like the girls are just outdoing the men, y'all got to catch up. On the next episode of Louder Than a Riot, we're telling the story of one of hip-hop's pioneers, even if history refuses to remember her that way. The misconception is that it was a male-dominated feel, and the females, you know, just came on the scene later. No, the males didn't dominate anything. We were always there. That's Shy Rock, the first female MC. Next time on Louder Than a Riot.
1: Louder Than a Riot is hosted by me, Rodney Carmichael, and Sidney Madden. This episode was written by myself, Sydney, and Gabby Bogarelli. It was produced by Gabby Bogarelli.
3: Our senior producer is Gabby Bulgarelli.
1: Our producers are Sam J. Leeds and Mono Sundaresen. Our editor is Soraya Shockley, with additional editing by Sam J. Leeds. And our engineer is Gilly Moon. Our senior supervising producer is Cher Vincent. Our interns are Jose Sandoval, Teresa Shia, and Pilar Galvan.
3: And the NPR execs are Keith Jenkins Yolanda Sanguini, and Anya Grunman.
1: Original theme by Casa Overall. remix by Suzy Analog. And the scoring for this episode was provided by Suzy Analog, Casa Overall, and Ramtin Bluey.
3: Our digital editor is Jacob Gans. Our fact checker is Jane Gilvin. If you like this episode and you want to talk back, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Louder Than a Riot. And if you want to email us, it's louder at npr.org. From NPR Music, I'm Cindy Madden.
1: And I'm Rodney Carmichael. This louder than a riot.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Project Lead the Way. Today's world is driven by STEM. At Project Lead the Way, they believe learning by doing helps every student in every grade be STEM successful. Learn more at pltw.org NPR. On NPR's Throughline,
4: We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe.
0: Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.